G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story she was starting to show some very strange symptoms. Was it something that she'd picked up in Papua New Guinea, malaria or something that was affecting her brain? But after a lot of investigative tests and things, they discovered, yeah, a horrible brain tumour that was inoperable, aggressive and terminal. And so she was just shy of her 15th birthday when we had that news. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story. Well, as a young girl, David and Lynn Wake's daughter Bethany was growing in her faith and had dreams of going overseas to help others as a missionary nurse. However, those dreams would sadly come to an end when at 14 years old, she was diagnosed with an inoperable aggressive brain tumour and eventually passed away a year later. In honour of their daughter's desire to help others, David and Lynn decided to become involved in Christian Blind Mission, or CBM, with Lynn even travelling to Nepal for the life-changing experience of seeing cataract surgeries being performed and people receiving the gift of sight. But there is much, much more to their story, as we'll find out today. David and Lynn Wake are chatting with Eric Scatterbo. David and Lynn Wake, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And where are you joining us from today? Well, we're actually in Cairns today, Cairns, Australia, working here. Um, but usually we're in Melbourne, Australia. That's right. So temporarily up there, thank you so much for joining us. And before we find out about your daughter's legacy and your involvement with CBM, let's find out first about your backgrounds and your story as a couple. Let's start with you, Lynn. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Melbourne, so mum mm-hmm. and dad had a house in Reservoir in Melbourne and I grew up there till I was 18, so it was in that home that I first heard about Jesus and remember my purple shagpole carpet, my frilly white curtains and that moment when I understood that I needed Jesus as my saviour and friend and so I've got really fond memories of that time uh, that's mm-hmm. quite strong in my mind with my mum praying for me as a little girl. I was yeah. a very, very shy little girl though and really didn't start living out that faith and talking about it till I was probably 18 or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So obviously you were raised in a Christian family? Yes, I was. Well, mum particularly had Mm -hmm. that sort of faith that would talk about it. Dad's faith was a bit quieter, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they they modelled for me what it was like to love Jesus and love people. Uh, So I'm so grateful for that, Eric. Mm -hmm. And David, what is your background? Yeah, well, I grew up with a father who sold drugs. He worked in a pharmacy. Oh, I was hoping you'd say that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we were in Greensboro. Yeah, I come to know Jesus as a teenager, and uh, yeah, because of a, that, um, living in the back of a pharmacy shop, you were full of fear, weren't you? And that's that, true. That sort of really led you to know Jesus. Full yeah. of fear. Well, we used to get held up a lot. Oh, really? Uh, mm. We can remember by 
Um, a couple of guys with shotguns around the side. We had someone try and break through the ceiling. We had a, a lady who brought in a tomahawk. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, growing up, I was definitely, I thought one day one of us are going to end up dying. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the catalyst that the Holy Spirit used to draw me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it a Christian family that you grew up in? Not really. Uh, although... My mother used to go to church when she was younger and later when kids came along, she remembered all that she'd been taught in Sunday Mm. school and ended up taking us kids because she wanted us to have a similar experience as she had had. Through that fear and you surrendering to God, you know, your family, rest of your family eventually came to know Jesus, didn't they? They did, Mm. yes. Mm. Okay, so for you personally, that was when you were a teenager. When did the two of you meet? Okay, well, we sort of say we've got a bit of an arranged marriage, actually. Oh, must be a story behind this. Yes, yes. My dad used to be the Wake family's insurance agent for many years before he even met them face to face. And eventually my family moved to the church where David were going and he met the Wake family and says, oh, you know, I've known you for 15 years, you know, through all your insurance claims, but I've never met you. And he met David first and he came back to me and said, I've met the one for you, Lynn. He's wow. a lovely boy. He was only 16 at the time and I was 18. So I was like, oh, Dad, he's just a boy, you know, but... <laughs> started to watch the boy grow up and was actually during his baptism. He was baptised around that time and Mm -hmm. I was a witness to that and I just saw just a genuine love for Jesus and Mm -hmm. uh, a real emotion there that really stuck in my mind so that I did have an eye on him and our friendship grew and so we started to date and 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 think about the future together you were only about 19 and 20 weren't we yeah Mm. so despite him being young and immature two years younger than you you overlooked that is that what you're saying (laughs) i did and he was a plumber at the time he's an apprentice plumber so he he was a bit more mature than your average 16 17 oh that's good Mm. he wasn't at school anymore but you were still an apprentice when we started dating, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was at Bible college, actually. So oh, okay. I was thinking about ministry, but not in any way wanting to be involved with overseas, cross-cultural sort of ministry. Just wanted to stay in Australia, wanted to live a pretty comfortable life. And as we started to talk and, and we realized one day at church, we were at the front after a missionary had inspired us to surrender our lives to Jesus. And we both um, were at the front, weren't we, at that mm. missionary call and, and realized that, oh, there could be something in our future together. We both kind of realized we might have a heart to do something. Wait a second. <laughs> so you weren't a couple at the time. No, that's right. But you mm. both went forward to become involved in missions, is that right? Yeah, the question was put to us, would you be open if God called you? Mm -hmm. If you would be open, come on down the front. Mm -hmm. And so we both ended up down the front, and I can remember looking down and seeing Lynn there and thought, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I don't have to do this missionary thing alone. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you become a couple? So it was a friendship that grew, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Um, It really was because of that, an age difference that doesn't seem much now, but when you're teenagers, that age difference is... Oh, yeah, yeah. But 
We did become friends and I always say, and I tell our kids now, it was the, his kindness that, that kind of in the end <laughs> captured my heart. He was very kind oh. young man. Yeah. Oh, very good. He's still a kind man now. Yeah. Ah, well, Lynn was very popular. So <laughs> she was a hard catch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was working. She was a poor Bible college student. So I used to always sneak up behind her before she was to pay for something. And uh, You are a wise man. Yeah, it slowly wore her down. (laughs) So you paid for various things for her, is that right? Yeah, yeah, meals or whatever she was buying, trying to buy at the time. You are a wise man. And then eventually (laughs) you were called to cross-cultural ministry. Tell us about that. Well, when we married, we had that sense of mission. And David Mm -hmm. was a plumber by then, and we were running our own little plumbing business, and I was helping my parents' business. And we just wondered, well, how do we actually get overseas and how do we actually start this missionary journey? And Our wise pastor sat down with us and talked about how a ship that's not moving can't be directed, but mm-hmm. a ship that's moving, you know, it's just a little rudder can be moved and directed and he just encouraged us to just get involved with ministry where mm-hmm. we were, just be open and, and where there's a need, you know, just be available. And that mm-hmm. was the best advice because... We started to meet some other missionary families and we started to just help with the skills that we had. And that eventually grew and grew and our passion for working with Bible translation started to grow. I'll let David explain a bit more of that. As I think through my life, I think how often God has spoken to me through his word. And so as we went through Bible college and realize just how important God's Word is and the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us through it, we just felt a desire for every language to be able to have that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like a natural thread to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, We were never necessarily going to be Bible translators, or we thought, because there are so many roles in the ministry of Bible translation But we knew we had a gift of encouragement, and that's the area, really, that we're still in today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you began really leading work teams, didn't you, going out to the Northern Territory, South Pacific regions, and sometimes I was able to join you on those, and just using the practical skills, you know, that you had, and that grew, didn't it, that to be able to want to serve in a a full-time capacity. Yeah, that's Mm. that's right. We just did, um, just... Put your hand up to the little things and go as God leads and, yeah, he continues to lead you Mm, mm. to bigger things as Mm -hmm. time goes. And what did you end up doing? Well, we ended up joining Wycliffe in 98. 1998, yes. So that's going back a few years now. We even had to do jungle camp training in Papua New Guinea to become missionaries. (laughs) Wow. That had to be an experience. It certainly was, yeah. Five yeah. months of um, language and culture training, which included five weeks of living in an isolated village location. So, yeah, that tested me. Who I'd never done any camping or anything really much before then. <laughs> so, if, in case people aren't understanding, if you are a Bible translator, typically I'm envisioning somebody out in the middle of the jungle with uh, some tribal people translating the Bible into their language. So that's why you needed to have kind of some jungle living experience. Is that kind of the reason why? Yeah, and anyone who's going to work cross-culturally 
needs cross-cultural training to be mm. aware anthropology mm. just to how do we relate to people of a different culture mm. than ourselves mm. because we all bring our culture with us yep um, so it's just really important um, training is very important to the ministry mm. of Wycliffe mm -hmm. and so we want people to be able to be successful in whatever area of mm. ministry they are mm -hmm. they're involved with You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with David and Lynn Wake, who are sharing their life journeys and how they became involved in cross-cultural ministry. We'll hear more of their story, including some of the challenges they faced, when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of David and Lynn Wake sharing their life journeys and how they became involved in cross-cultural ministry. Here's more of their chat with Eric Scadabo. And so right now, if I understand correctly, David, you are the Deputy CEO of Wycliffe Bible Translators? Yes, I am. Then you serve as his assistant, is that right? That's right. I help him and as well as doing some writing for our communications department. And we both are involved with pastoral care of our members and uh, that's, that's part of the thing, job we like doing together. And then in 2006, you had an experience in PNG, is that right? Yeah, we went and helped a people group. We were like being a secretary of a people group. Um, it was to do with scripture use, so we were trying to help them use their translated scriptures mm -hmm. for the Usarufa people. Mm -hmm. And uh, they'd been at war with the Kamanos for about eight years before that. So we actually came in at a very pivotal time when there was a lot of conflict and it was a very challenging stage for the people group. Yeah, God really had us there at that right time. You know, they'd received the scriptures 25 years earlier, but it was at that time that the hunger for actually spiritual growth was happening and more people wanted to be able to read the scriptures and put them into practice. And so we're asking us to help them with some more training and literacy skills and things like that. So it was a real steep learning curve for us to go in there and to support the people. It was mm -hmm. a very exciting time to see God working and using people and transforming lives and communities to work together. And there's even a peace treaty sign um, at the time we were there. And we we know it was the seeds that were sown by the by people who've before us. well before us, you know. Mm -hmm. There's many times in ministry when you're the one sowing the seeds and you don't see the fruit, but we were blessed to be able to see a lot of the fruit in this people group, you know, had been watered for years as well. And there's there's still growth and they're working on the Old Testament translation mm. now and, and things like that. So God just put us there at that time to just assist the growth and the hunger that was mm -hmm. there. And it gave us um, all that training we did in Papua New Guinea before that in our jungle training. We eventually got to, you know, put into practice, which was mm -hmm. fantastic, and actually served for a couple of years in the country. And that country just owns a bit of our heart now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one story I have, Eric, is... Mm -hmm. 
We were working on Genesis 4, 8 to 10 with a couple of translators. And one of them was a man called Sivani. Sivani was the commander of the Usarufa army. And, you know, they'd been very active in fighting. Mm -hmm. And he was thinking through how to actually say these verses in his own language. And he'd been a man that had used sorcery. He'd um, killed many, many people. Mm. It was as he looked at God's word that he tells me later that God gave him a picture. Genesis 4, 8 to 10 is where Cain kills Abel and Abel's blood calls out to God from the ground. Mm. And God gave Sivani this picture of everyone who he had killed all calling out to God from the ground. And he said it was it was like a spear had entered his side and it was the conviction that God was um, drawing Sivani to himself. Mm, and it was the next day mm. that Sivani said, someone's got to pray for me. And he became a brother, a very changed man from the life he had led. Fantastic. The word of God working in his spirit changed Absolutely. him. Yeah. Yes, that, yes. That's it. So even the process I love about Bible translation is one that God uses mm -hmm. to transform lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do more training of people these days mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to go about doing Bible translation for themselves in people groups. Mm -hmm. We still do do one-on-one, -on -one, but um, it's much more a training orientated and equipping people yeah, these days. Mm -hmm. And I understand that while you were there in PNG, you went through some challenges as well. Yeah, that's right. I think just before we went away um, in those years, I'd had the loss of my brother through cancer. And so that mm -hmm. was probably the first serious child that really hit our family. Mm -hmm. When we were away, we had three medical evacuations, one with David, one with um, our youngest daughter and one with our son. And we came back a bit shell-shocked uh, from that experience and needing some counsel and re-entry as missionaries and some, you know, some help. Yeah. But we look back now and see that that time, as we trusted God, he grew our faith in that time and all those medical issues were resolved and everything was okay. But they strengthened that faith muscle, I guess, because God was preparing us for a much bigger trial to come sort of that year later with our daughter Bethany. Mm -hmm. Yes. So your faith matured a bit going into 2010. Please tell us what happened then. Well, I'll just go back a step just to explain our family mm -hmm. a little bit. I've mm -hmm. talked about our children when we were blessed with a son, James, mm -hmm. a daughter, Bethany, and then five years later, two other girls came along, Rachel and Nicole. Rachel and Nicole still live with us at, back in mm -hmm. Melbourne. Mm -hmm. They're studying at university, lovely young ladies who love the Lord. James, our son, is married to Melissa, and he has a little baby, so we're grandparents oh, now. Congratulations. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, but our, our daughter Bethany, our eldest daughter Bethany, um, in 2010, she was uh, starting to show some very strange symptoms and was losing some vision and some numbness on her left-hand side. And initially the doctors thought that she had a stroke. Hmm. But now were you back in Australia at this time? We were, mm. we were. In fact, David had taken Bethany back to Papua New Guinea in uh, 2009 which we're so grateful for now. They got to go back and 
you were running a course there, a discipleship mm. course, and Bethany went with her dad, which was really precious because mm. she met all her friends in Papua New Guinea. She was a very, very outgoing, social, loved, mm. love God kind of girl. And so it was beautiful they got that opportunity to mm. go back to Papua New Guinea. Yeah. So we're back in Australia. So... Actually, that was the very first line of uh, medical examinations and tests was, was, was it something she, that she'd picked up in Papua New Guinea, malaria or something that was affecting her brain mm. and nervous system. But after a lot, a lot of investigative tests and things, they discovered, yeah, a horrible brain tumour that was inoperable, aggressive and terminal. And so she was just shy of her 15th birthday mm -hmm. when we had that news. So mm. she would slowly lose the use of her left side, mm. her, mm -hmm. her foot, then it'd come up to her hand, her arm, and then it would come up the right-hand side. Mm. And so it was very, very difficult for her as it took her voice away eventually. Mm. And so how do you communicate, mm. you know, mm -hmm. to her parents, to her siblings when... Yeah, when so much things are taken away from her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Eric, when she was diagnosed, you know, we were so proud of her. I mean, we were all in tears, obviously, and couldn't mm -hmm. really believe it. We were yeah. all in shock. But she just made this amazing declaration over her whole life, and really it's affects us to this day. She said, you know, Mum and Dad, there's no one that has authority over my life except Jesus. You know, mm. the, the word cancer, that's not the word. It's Jesus, you know. Mm. And, and she said, are we going to be the sort of people who just worship and love him when times are good? Or are we going to be like Job and choose to just worship through everything? And we mm. looked back at the Bible she was given a Bible for her 14th birthday. She she really did struggle fitting back in with, into Australia again after being away. And she got a Bible and we looked back at it a year later and we could see that she'd underlined all these verses about suffering. We were really surprised because we could just see that was really God preparing her. Mm. Normally a 14-year-old girl doesn't underline those things in her mm. Bible. Yeah, um, she had maturity beyond her years it sounds like. Yeah, God was definitely, we can see now, mm -hmm. although it came with a complete shock, of course, there was some preparation there in some of her journal entries and things like that. God was preparing her, speaking to her spirit too. Um, and she she desperately wanted a life and a testimony that would give glory to God. And that's what she decided. She, she had this diagnosis, but that wasn't going to stop her from giving glory to God. And that's yeah. what she did whole way through that journey it was yeah. incredible. Mm. Eric, there's nothing like suffering to get your attention onto God. Oh, yeah. The trivial things just mm. don't mean anything. But for many people, it either draws you closer or further away mm. from God as well. Mm. And I loved uh, that Bethy, you know, she said that Jesus is enough to get her through whatever life mm. brings. Mm. And so we were very proud of her, the way that, that she went through this trial. Yes. And before she was diagnosed, she had dreams of being a missionary nurse? That's right. She heard at school about a condition called obstetric fistula, and I didn't even know what it was. I was in my 40s at that time, and I lived in Australia. Yeah, what is that? 
it's it's birthing injuries that women in developing countries can have after very prolonged labors and mm-hmm. like we're talking you know young women usually who've you know married as young girls really and are really not developed enough to give birth you know to a child and not able to get to a hospital and mm-hmm. so the, the child you know is trapped in the birth canal for way too long mm-hmm. and if the child lives you know it's often born with cerebral palsy birth injuries if the mother lives, she's often has these birthing injuries where she's left incontinent, mm-hmm. and these women then become the smelly women, the outcasts of the culture. Mm. It's estimated that maybe two million women in Africa alone living with this condition. Mm. It's it's seen of as a curse. It, Bethany mm. was a hospital by the river by Catherine Hamlin, and decided she wanted to do something about it. So. She was 14. She made this PowerPoint. She wasn't the, the world's best speller. She uh, It was full of mistakes, but it was like her heart was absolutely in for it that yeah. she wanted to do something. And she raised a couple of thousand dollars, you know, before she got sick. And she said, no, well, I'm going to be a midwife and go over there and help these women. And <laughs> so she told all her family and friends about this. So she was very passionate about wanting to go and use her life and there was just only six weeks before she got sick where she mm. was at a YWAM mission event where she surrendered her life to, to mission and God mm. gave her a, a very different mission than what any of us could ever have imagined. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with David and Lynn Wake about their story as a couple and, as we heard near the end, they also shared about their daughter Bethany who was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour just short of her 15th birthday and passed away a year later. As we heard, Bethany had wisdom beyond her years and said that Jesus was enough to get her through whatever life brings. Important words for all of us to remember as we go through life's trials. Next time, we'll hear how David and Lynn decide to become involved in Christian Blind Mission, or CBM, in honour of their daughter's desire to help others, and how Lynn travels to Nepal for the life-changing experience of seeing cataract surgeries being performed and people receiving the gift of sight. That's all coming up next time. Meanwhile, I want to let you know that a devotional book was written inspired by Bethany and the journal she kept. It's called Heartbreakingly Beautiful, a journey of hope inspired by Bethany Wake. It's described as a Jesus-centered resource to help others who have an unsure future. To find out more, the book is available through the Wake's Be Blessing website, which is dedicated to the memory of Bethany. The website is be-blessings.com. Once again, that's b-blessings.com. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of our conversation with David and Lynn Wake. Until next time, when we'll hear more of their story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. One thing led to another, and so that we set up a legacy at her funeral. And what we did for the Thanksgiving service was CBM set up a gigantic blue box and people gave money on that day with such generosity, like Bethany. And they gave, it was over $12,000. And we, we just thought, this is something here. You know, we want this to keep going. David and Lynn Wake's daughter Bethany was diagnosed with an inoperable aggressive brain tumour and passed away when she was only 15 years old. 
In honour of their daughter's legacy, David and Lynn became involved in Christian Blind Mission, or CBM. We'll hear more of their story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.